In the name of the risen Christ. When I was a youth minister, I often found myself stuck in a van full of teenagers. For the most part, teenagers love a good van ride, especially when it's a church van, and you really don't have to do that much to keep them entertained. But every so often, they get a little bored and whiny, and you find it helpful to have a few games to play in order to help them pass the time. We would play Cal Bingo and License Plate Poker, or the Alphabet Game with Billboards. But my favorites were always the brain teaser kinds of games, like I'm Going on a Picnic. To play I'm Going on a Picnic, the first person starts by saying, I'm going on a picnic and I'm bringing apples, or bananas, or green grass, or popsicles, or ants, or whatever they want to bring on the picnic. The catch is that only certain kinds of things can be taken on the picnic. And if you are not bringing the correct thing, then you can't go on the picnic. The person who said apples gets to go, but the person who said bananas does not. The green grass person can go, but no popsicles or ants are allowed. The game keeps going with each player suggesting what they are bringing to the picnic and being told whether or not they can go. As players begin to figure it out, they stay in the game, but now everything they want to bring is allowed and they can go on the picnic. This helps other players to continue to hear the types of things that are allowed, but it also begins to encourage their questions. You mean he can bring alligators on the picnic, but I can't bring sandwiches? When you respond that is correct, they often start to get frustrated and tell you why the game is silly, which is your opportunity to begin to try and coax them into figuring out what the game actually is. It's not the items you want to bring per se, it is the spelling of the words. You begin to say things like, I am going on a picnic and I am bringing alligators, or I am bringing root vegetables or Miss Isip-E. As the light starts to dawn, the teens begin to get more excited about their turn and start bringing all sorts of things like baggage and lollipops and trees. They even start elongating the pronunciation sounds of the double letters to help the others who haven't quite caught on. As each person does catch on, you see their light, their eyes begin to light up and their joy in having figured out the game. You can literally see a group grow together. And the best part of all is that once a person figures out that they know the game, they try even harder to help the others figure it out as well. They want everyone to be included and no one to feel left out. And if you haven't quite caught on the only thing you have to bring to get to go on the picnic is an item that has a double letter in it. Games have rules. And the best games have rules that govern how everyone can be included and participate. When the rules become about excluding others, the games become a little less fun. They bring less joy and more suffering. We want to belong, but when the rules exclude us, then that means that not everyone gets to belong, and we feel rejected, left out. There are some games where 
certain gifts, talents, and skills are valued more than others. And that's true when it comes to football or chess or even singing in the choir. But it is never true when it comes to belonging to the kingdom of God. Peter has a dream. Three times a picnic blanket for Peter, laden with animals that God offers him to eat, is lowered down. The problem is that none of those animals have a double letter in their name, except maybe the buzzards, and who would ought to eat one of those anyway? Actually, the real problem for Peter is that they are all unclean animals. Peter is a good Jew. He follows the rules. And being a good Jew means that you do not eat of the unclean animals. So he refuses God, saying he has never put anything profane or unclean in his mouth. And what he really means is that he will not break the Jewish laws, the Torah, that were given to the Jews by God. Torah is an established set of 613 laws. The laws were originally intended to keep the community safe. They were inclusive laws, meant to bring people together and order life in such a way as to build up relationships and protect others. But by Jesus' day, those laws had become weaponized, used to exclude and cast out those who did not appear to live up to certain standards of the members of the community. No longer was the stranger treated with concern and honor, nor the widow, the oppressed, poor or the marginalized. Instead, they were kept separate and apart from the community. Jesus had come to reform Judaism, particularly the concern for relationship with one another over holding up laws that divided, produced factions, and made distinctions that continued to separate the community from itself. Jesus told Peter and the disciples to love their neighbor as they love themselves. Yet they haven't truly understood who exactly their neighbor is. Instead, they continue to draw distinctions between themselves as Jews and those who, though they had heard the message of Jesus Christ, were Gentile, and thus not included as part of the community. It may not seem as important to us 2,000 years later, but in the early days after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, this new community of believers had to make critical choices that have directly affected us even 2,000 years later. One of the most critical of those choices is who is in and who is out. It is a radical rethinking of the rules in which the Jews are no longer the exclusively favored. By bringing Jesus to earth and offering a sacrifice of salvation to all, every single one of us is now favored. Jew and Greek, male or female, slave or free, as Paul would say, but even more so in our life today, black and white, Democrat and Republican, immigrant and citizen, rich and poor, gay or straight. The dream God sends to Peter is to help him realize that nothing and no one is to be left out, excluded from, rejected by the kingdom of God, even if you don't have a double letter in your name. And to make sure that Peter really understands the message, 
the Holy Spirit incites a Gentile Pentecost upon Cornelius and his household, the ones who Peter is defending in front of the council in Jerusalem, the ones who he baptized in Joppa. That Gentile Pentecost is just the same as it was after Jesus had ascended and the Holy Spirit had fallen upon Peter and the other apostles on the first day of Pentecost. How can Peter refuse to baptize these Gentiles now when God is so clearly at work in them just as he was in Peter and his friends? In a few minutes, we will baptize Miles Simpler, and chances are that he will not begin to talk in tongues, though he may well scream the devil out when I pour water on his head. And though we think of baptism as a purification rite, a time when we are made clean from all our sins, I can't imagine that baby Miles has that much to atone for at this stage in life. Instead, his baptism is a rite of initiation, It is a time when we welcome him into the household of God and mark him as Christ's own forever. We include Miles this day as part of us. He belongs to us now, and in that belonging, we will promise to do all in our power to support him in his life in Christ. Just like those teenagers on the van who have figured out the key to the riddle of what can be brought on the picnic, and begin to help the others to discover the answer for themselves, we too, as members of the body of Christ, do all that we can to ensure the inclusion of others, to help one another figure out what it means to walk in this Christian life. And in that inclusion, in that sense of belonging, we discover a joy and fulfillment through Christ that deepens our concern for one another and for God. Like Peter, we are witnesses to the wideness of God's embrace. And we witness to that today through our call to baptism to be one body, one spirit, one hope in God's call to us. I'm going on a picnic and I'm bringing all the people of God. Amen.